0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now, with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The calls for a new world order never seem to cease. Now, Japan's trade and industry minister said last week that a new world order is needed. ...to counter the rise of authoritarian regimes which have thrived in post-Cold War free trade and economic independence. Authoritarian countries, he said, have amassed tremendous power, both economically and militarily. And he said, we must rebuild a world order based on the fundamental values of freedom, democracy, human rights, and the rule of law. But what does that really mean? Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to see what that means... And in fact, not only see what it means in terms of a new world order, but also see what it means in terms of the implications of that, because at the same time, a call came out from Israel National News, there's a fight for the Temple Mount, and it is increasing. It's accelerating. Another from the Jerusalem Post declares Jews are the owners of the Temple Mount, so what is the big problem? Why is it that when one representative of Israel decides to take an 18-minute excursion up on the Temple Mount that causes an international scene with the President of the United States, Joe Biden, and his emissaries causing a world, uh shall we say, conflagration of uh political... Uh, ambassadorship, and so on. All of that here today on Viewpoint as we take a look at the relationship between the Temple Mountain and the throne of God. The temple and the throne, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, is always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And these things are linked The first temple stood proudly on the Temple Mount 1,500 years before the Prophet Muhammad was even born. Did you know that? 1,500 years before the Prophet Muhammad was even born. So it would seem to go without saying that security and diplomatic wisdom would be extremely important, but we can't forget the basic facts. Jews are not guests on the Temple Mount. They're the original owners. No other nation shares that history. No other nation has had the same capital for 3,000 years and has never had another one. And Jerusalem was never the capital of any other nation. Well, those are facts. They are facts. They're uh, indisputable facts, in fact. And uh, all of the criticism ignores the 3,000-year connection between the people of Israel and Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. As a matter of fact, you should know that uh, uh, the Jewish sages say that there are three places about which the nations of the world cannot deceive Israel and say that we have stolen them out of their hands. And those are the Cave of the Patriarchs, the Temple, or the Temple Mount, and the Tomb of Joseph. All of those sites were purchased by the forefathers of Israel, Abraham, Jacob, and King David, and all at a fair price as recorded in the scriptures. So that having been established as a foundation for our conversation here today, I welcome you aboard. Again, I am Chuck Chris Meyer. This is Save America Ministries and the Viewpoint Radio Broadcast, and today we're going to be talking about the geopolitical stakes that have never been higher. But they pale into pale in the presence of the spiritual stakes that are echoing into eternity with regard to the issue of the temple mount and the throne. The temple mount and the throne. Well, what if, what is a throne anyway? Well, a throne, you could say, well, it would be like a seat. It would be like a fancy seat a very highfalutin kind of seat where a king would sit uh, in demonstration of his uh, rulership over his kingdom. But in reality, a throne is symbolic. It is the seat of ultimate power and authority. Ultimate power and authority. So while a throne may be physically presented uh, in an ornate or grand chair that's elevated above everybody else, the true significance of its symbolic place and purpose is that it is the exclusive realm of the sovereign and his exclusive dominion. And that dominion can be exercised under a monarch or a king, an emperor, or even a dictator, even the Antichrist. That's right, even the Antichrist who will indeed seek to rule and reign from his throne on the Temple Mount. That may sound a little strange to some folk who are tuning in rel- relatively early to this program, having not heard uh, this program for a while. But the reality is we're talking about something that is of supreme significance. The Bible makes it of supreme significance in Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage? and so the people imagine a vain and foolish things? The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's tear their bands asunder. In other words, let's do away with all these other powers. We're going to take care of this. We're going to get rid of Israel. We're going to get rid of all those, including Christians who who seem to take the side of Israel. no. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to rule and reign, and ain't nobody going to stop us. Well, Psalm 2 tells us that God is going to have them in derision. That's what it says. He will laugh. God will laugh at the kings of the earth, the leaders of our world, and he's going to have them in confusion, in derision. He's going to mock them because he says, I have set my king, on my holy hill. Now, what is that holy hill? That holy hill is the Temple Mount. It's the very place where God told Abraham to sacrifice his son of promise, Ishmael, and God gave him a substitute ram so that Abraham would not have to kill his only son. But because he was willing, God said, now I can trust him, and through him... I am going to ordain that my son, that is, God incarnate in human flesh, Jesus Christ, would rule and reign from that very mount after he had been sacrificed for the sin of many, had risen again, would return and would rule and reign from Mount Zion, the Temple Mount. You can understand then perhaps why the leaders of the world in their chutzpah, their immense pride and seeming uh, thinking that they are virtual kings of the mountain, so to speak, that they have do not have to pay any attention whatsoever to what God has said concerning what he has already uh, stated is going to be the rulership from the Temple Mount. Now, from now, from at this point, we all know that there is no temple on the Temple Mount. But when the scripture says the Lord himself will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, we have to believe that there will be a temple built. How soon? Maybe much sooner than you can imagine. And what will happen? We talk next. The Mountain and the Throne. That's what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint. I'm glad that you've joined us. Israel National News announced today on September 28, 2000, General Ariel Sharon visited the Temple Mount. On February 2001, he was elected Prime Minister and many attributed his defeat of Ehud Barak to his fighting for the Temple Mount. On January 2nd, Israel's new Minister of National Security, uh, Itamar Ben-Givar, visited the Temple Mount. The United Arab Emirates and China asked the U.N. Security Council to hold a special session. Just as Ariel Sharon was rewarded and congratulated for visiting the Temple Mount, so should Minister Ben-Givar. However, it appears that the world doesn't think that way, including our putative president, Joe Biden, who has sent over his emissary to, shall we say, speak power into the mind and heart of Benjamin Netanyahu, the new prime minister of Israel, and call him to account for allowing his minister to go up on top of the Temple Mount? You've got to be kid- kidding me. Such a horrible thing to be allowed. Yet Israel owns the Temple Mount. Always has. In fact, it was in 1967 when Israel regained the presence on the Temple Mount by defeating Jordan in a massive battle. And uh, ever since then, Jerusalem was reunited the Temple Mount was in the hands of Israel, and then a fellow by the name of, well, he was a non-believer, a Jewish sectarian or a sec, uh, secularist, who uh, Moshe Dayan was a leader in the defeat of Jordan and the recovery of the Temple Mount, but he made a very serious mistake. Because he was not a spiritually minded man. He gave Jordan the control over the Temple Mount, even though Israel owned it. He did it, supposedly, to preserve peace. Did it preserve peace? No. It's caused only trouble. And so we want to follow through with what the consequences of that trouble uh, are and are going to be as we move forward Uh, into 2023. It's about thrones. It's about the sovereignty, exclusive sovereignty over the Temple Mount. Just as thrones have come and gone with political kingdoms of the world throughout history, so there have been spiritual kingdoms with commanding thrones that have demanded obedience and increasingly assert power over the souls of men and women. And those spiritual thrones are being consolidated in, in the same fashion as the nations and political powers of our world have been progressively consolidating into a singular global order or one world order. So too have these spiritual thrones been unifying into what new ages refer to as the new global consciousness. And so we move toward a one world religion that will place, or which will place, its representative on the throne of God in the Temple Mount. I'm sorry for that little break there, but uh, somehow... Uh, My little doggy had gotten into the broadcast studio, and he was not happy about having to listen to uh, this broadcast today. (laughs) So you could probably hear him whimpering in the background. In any event, what we're looking at now is, uh, you might call it the helix of history. Uh, The Hebrew people, the rabbis, have talked about something called the helix of history. And what it, what it means is that something happens and then it goes around again in some later time and happens again. And then it goes around again and happens again in its final form. It's like prophetic fulfillment, the helix of history. So, as the helix of history has wound its way across, you could say, the sands of time to our time, great political empires have come and gone, and they've left traces of their respective thrones in our memories. Yet, as has been so, said so aptly, the only thing we learn from history is we just don't learn from history. And those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, and we are about to witness history repeated on steroids. That's correct. So, from Nimrod's Tower of Babel, there in Genesis chapter 11, to the promised and now emerging New World Order that a Japanese minister just called for on Thursday. That's right, he said, we've got to do it. The New World Order, a new global order. Three popes in a row have been calling for it. But who's going to sit on the throne of the new world order for global salvation and dominion? You may recall a fellow by the name of Charlemagne, very famous back in 800 A.D. He was establishing what he called the Holy Roman Empire, and that's now re-emerging in the end time. The Holy Roman Empire. In fact... Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, who just passed away, by the way, sought vigorously to bring all the world's religions under the comforting wing of the Vatican. It was the pontifical plan that is continuing under Pope Francis to undergird history's grand scheme to unite the world in submission to man's ultimate utopian throne. It would be co-ruled, by the soon-to-be political savior and the vicar of Christ, each plotting to ultimately depose the other so as to reign as regent over the globe. Now, let me just break that down a little bit for you. There are two powers, two main powers that are striving here. One is a secular power. The other is a quasi-spiritual power known as the Vatican. Now there are other players there are other players there is are Islamic players Turkey and Iran each of them are seeking to rule and reign over the earth uh, to install a muslim world order to take over the earth they are convinced that uh, that will be the fulfillment of the quran and uh, they will have the 12th imam to rule and reign from the temple mount, not from Mecca, but from the temple mount. Everybody wants to reign on the temple mount. Why? Because it's the 37 acres that are so, that are utterly priceless. It is as if all power, political, moral, spiritual, anything that you could name is focused intensely on that one thirty-seven acre site known as the Temple Mount. So, the world and its leaders are desperately trying to move their pieces of their puzzles in order to be able to rule and reign from the Temple Mount. But one of the premier powers seeking to do that is the Vatican. Now, for those of you who have grown up in the Roman Catholic Church, I want to, again, because we may have some new listeners who are not familiar uh, with uh, statements that we have made here on this program in the past, when we talk about the Vatican and when we talk about the papacy, we're not talking about people who happen to have been uh, grown up in the Roman Catholic Church. We're not talking about you. We're talking about a power structure. We're talking about the smallest geopolitical state in the world called the Vatican and its merger with the Bishop of Rome who inherited the power of ancient Rome and its emperors and collectivized all of that power and glory of ancient secular Rome into what is now known as the Roman Catholic Church under the Vatican. If you don't understand that, you need to read my book, King of the Mountain. In fact, you need to read it anyway. King of the Mountain, the eternal epic end-time battle, for it said that he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. This is a... uh, A $20 book, and it's yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. And it's going to open your eyes to understand the greater picture of what has been transpiring for 6,000 years and now is coming to its culmination in our time. If you want to understand the dynamics that are taking place now, you need to read this book. So, the, the battle right now for earth's grandest throne, you could say, is set in a dramatic and eternal contradiction to the eternal throne of God. For it is written in the Psalms and in Hebrews, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a right scepter. Now, the temporal thrones of men and the eternal throne of God are soon destined to clash. You can almost hear the swords clashing already with calamitous consequences. So even as mankind seeks to establish his global throne under the authority of Satan upon God's holy mountain, in open defiance of the Savior of the world, Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. It's happening. So, as I quoted earlier from Psalm 2, the kings of the earth are setting themselves and the rulers are taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. His anointed is Israel. Yet, says the Lord, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now, here's what God says in just a few short verses there in Psalm 2 verses 1 to 12. He says, now be wise, therefore, ye kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him, Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The problem is there are many pseudo messiahs that are competing for this role. In order to understand who they are and how they are working, you might want to consider getting a copy of my latest book called Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. $22 will put that book in your hands. It's my latest book, and it will reveal to you the competitors now, the so-called messianic competitors That all believe that they're going to rule and reign over the world. So, after 4,000 years since Abraham first set foot on Mount Moriah, now called the Temple Mount, the cycle of history is returning to the very place where God told him that God Himself would provide a lamb. That's where Jesus was crucified. It's the place also known as Mount Zion where King David chose to establish his kingdom 3,000 years ago. And God said of him, I will establish his throne forever through Jesus Christ who was born in the city of David, Bethlehem. So, at the dedication of the temple, The first temple, the glory of God filled the place as the house of God and Solomon declared the prophetic word of the Lord in consecration and made it clear for all time. Here's what he said. You can find it in 2 Chronicles 6 verse 6. I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. So God's kingdom on earth was forever established in the mind and heart of God in David, at Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, sometimes referred to as Mount Zion. So, when Jesus was publicly presented and acknowledged even by a godless Roman governor to be king of the Jews, their ruling Sanhedrin and chief priests cried, Crucify him, crucify him, for we have no king but Caesar. Caesar right there by the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The battle is not over. We're just beginning.
1: There is so much more about Chuck Chrismeyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org.
0: Now, you've heard me speak of two books here in the program so far. One is King of the Mountain the epic, eternal, and end-time battle, for it is said that he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. If you really want to understand the historic dynamics from both a geopolitical and spiritual viewpoint going back 6,000 years, this book lays it all out right from the Bible so that you can understand it and uh, it's backed up with the, the scriptures. It's backed up with quotes from all over the world. And uh, I think you will not be disappointed. $15 on the website, saveus.org, King of the Mountain. The other one I mentioned is my latest, which is called Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. $22. We'll put that book in your hands. If you want to get both of the books together, Uh, Instead of paying $5 each for postage and handling, you'll only pay $5 for the first book and $2 for the second one. So that's $7. You'll save another $3 that way. And I do not think you're going to be disappointed. Your eyes are going to be opened, and your heart is going to be encouraged. You might just, some might actually become somewhat breathless as they realize where we really are in history and how rapidly it's taking place. Jesus, Yeshua, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is coming soon. And God, King God, had ordained from the beginning to rule and reign over the hearts of men. And when Jesus rose again, the grave couldn't hold God's promised governor, for Isaiah had written of the increase of his government and peace, there should be no end upon the throne of David. And when he returns... He's going to reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And that's where that uh, famous song in Handel's Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever, king of kings and lord of lords, and so on. And at that time, the prophet Jeremiah said they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations that remain shall be gathered unto it in the name of the Lord. In other words, going to be a lot of nations that are going to meet their demise. Because the battle that is coming is going to be so intense and so great. So the king of kings is going to sit upon the throne of thrones, upon the holy mount of Jerusalem. But the competitors are not satisfied with that declaration from scripture. They intend to usurp the throne, and judgment for that effort is coming. In fact, uh, in the the prophet Joel talks about this. He says that God is going to bring the nations and their leaders into the valley of Jehoshaphat and judge them there for how they have treated Israel and Jerusalem. So that, but that final judgment, the ultimate final judgment. Shall not come until Satan's final effort to usurp the throne on the Mount of God has been played out with the most massive deceptive exhibition of spiritual hoods that you can possibly even conceive or imagine. Now, let me give you some thoughts about this. And what I'm about to share with you is actual fact. Actual fact. And so don't get upset. If I share with you actual facts, then you're just going to have to deal with the facts and what their implications are. This scenario that we're talking about is emerging in these end times in a breathtaking, it's pretty brazen. For instance, the Vatican now seeks to vanquish all competitors for governance of the Mount of God, that is the Temple Mount, and Jerusalem. Rome, ancient Rome, was ensconced throughout antiquity on seven hills, which it was built. But that's no longer satisfying uh, satisfying uh, to the Vatican. There are seven hills, uh only the Temple Mount is going to suffice, the place of ultimate and consummate world dominion. Will this then be the power linked in partnership with the New World Order? through which Satan's final bid to supplant the creator God's claim to that holy mount shall be accomplished or attempted? It's already being done, friends. That's what's so amazing. Now, ultimately, as I said earlier, the status of Pontifus Maximus, which was the title that the Roman Empire emperor uh, had, When Rome was ruling the earth was taken over around 500 A.D. by the Bishop of Rome, i.e. the Pope. It's true. So the concept of the vicar of Christ is a way of saying man becomes Christ. He is the substitute for Christ on the earth. So, this Vicar of Christ, known in the Roman Catholic Church, not only purports to be head of the church, but also the absolute monarch of a governmental system known as the Vatican. The absolute monarch, and I'm not making this up. There's an entire book called Absolute Monarch. The Vatican, through the papacy, believes through its historical documentation and so on, that it already rules the world. And it's just a matter of time until it's manifested. It is also the intention of the Vatican, through the papacy, that the Pope will not rule and reign over the world from the Vatican or from Rome, but from Jerusalem and from the Temple Mount. Already in the documents. So, how about this late-breaking news that came January 2nd, uh, 10 years ago, by Arut Sheva Israel National News. Here it is, quote, Israel seems to have sold Jerusalem to the Vatican. That's the subtitle. Historic agreement had been drafted between Israel and the Vatican. Israeli authorities granted the Pope an official seat on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, where David and Solomon, kings of Israel, are believed to be buried, and upon which Mount they also reigned as the earthly forebears of the Christ of God, who would come in the flesh and ultimately govern upon the throne of David. This, this is a quote, this is an enormous issue. The agreement expected to be ratified June 2013 gave the Pope a special authority over the room where the Last Supper was believed to have taken place on Mount Zion, thus allowing the Pope to sit in the place of Christ so as to exercise global dominion. So, interestingly, the same Israel National News said sovereignty over Mount Zion is politics, not only religion. It's about power, Ultimate earthly power over the souls of men. So, as I indicated in my book, King of the Mountain, in a chapter called The Mountain and the Throne, I stated it is imperative that no politician prime minister, president, pastor, nor pope miss the eternal point and grave significance of the epic, eternal, and now end-time battle for king of the mountain. This 6,000-year battle for king of the mountain has been a dramatic metaphor for God's eternal message to the Jew first, but also to we Gentiles. Every person on the planet will elect a king. In the end, there are only two choices on the spiritual ballot. Satan, the historic arch-enemy of your soul, and the creator who promises that each person can be or that that's Satan who promises that each person can become his own king and doesn't need to submit to the word will and ways of God. The other choice is Yeshua, Jesus Christ. There are no substitutes, not even papal substitutes. No vicar of Christ is a substitute for Jesus Christ. So the final battle for King of the Mountain is right before us. The battle is raging for the souls of men. It's happening so rapidly that it's it's enough to make your head spin, really. While the battle for king of the mountain, the mountain being the Temple Mount, is progressing toward geopolitical culmination, the spiritual battle is even more intense. Because in order for a third temple to arise in the Temple Mount, massive geopolitical and spiritual compromise is going to be required, resulting in Israel's desperate covenant of supposed peace by a false messiah. That, my friends, I believe, is how Israel will embrace a counterfeit messiah. Israel, as a state, will prostitute herself on the altar of promised peace presented by a counterfeit peacemaker who will masquerade as messiah. And the consequences Will be utterly devastating. In fact, so devastating that God calls it a covenant with death. You say, well, where was that? What would that be? Well, that would be in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 15. It's going to be an amazingly treasonous decision by Israel against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So treasonous and so devastating will it be. That God says He is going to disannul it, calling it an agreement with hell. Now, does this sound like uh, uh, an easy day for a lady kind of thing coming up here? No, this is this is the culmination of history, geopolitical and spiritual. So the question then is, who's going to sit upon the throne? Who will be king of the mountain? Who will reign supreme in your life upon the mount of the temple of your heart? Oh, we'll be back. Have you ever
1: considered what the early church was like? But the same can be found right now. Go to SaveUs.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's SaveUs.org. Click Sell Church.
0: Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. We're poised in what you might call the valley of decision. The uh, prophet Joel said, multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is a time, a very short period of time, at the very end of the age. Now let me put this in perspective for those of you who perhaps have not heard this before. The end times began 2,000 years ago. They began at the time of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You could say they began at the birth of Christ, but I think it, it would be more accurate to say at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That's when the end times began. The Bible makes it clear that that's when the end times began, because the Apostle Peter, uh standing up on the day of Pentecost, Told the people who were so troubled uh, as they came out from the uh, upper room where they had been praying and the Holy Spirit had come upon them with uh, tongues as of fire and they began to speak in tongues uh, and people were gathered from all over the world for Pentecost and they said what in the world's going on here and Peter said this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel that in the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh in the last days. So the last days began 2,000 years ago. We've been living in the last days for almost 2,000 years. The 2,000 years will culminate on 2030 A.D. I want you to think about this. What is 2030 A.D.? 2030 A.D. is the day when... The World Economic Forum has declared the final implementation of the Great Reset. In other words, the New World Order. It's also the year when the United Nations, rising up against Israel and against God, has decreed their agenda to be fulfilled. Agenda 2030. Exactly two 1,000 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that most most uh, authorities believe was uh, right about 30 A.D. Add 2,000, you get to 2030 A.D. Now, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord on this. We're putting things in perspective here to give us some measure of understanding as to how near we may be To the culmination of all things. And why will we do that? Because we need to understand there's no more time to play around. No more time to think you have more time. You may not have any more time after today. You don't know. Just look at some of these athletes that are dropping dead because of the COVID shot. They had no idea. How about the uh, uh, 37-year-old executive there for CBS? Just dropped dead right there on the set. COVID shot. It's happening all over the world. And if you had the COVID shot, you have a much greater likelihood than the majority of people who have not to drop dead in your tracks and not even have a hint of what is coming. So, people get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be coming home and we want to be ready now. We don't want to wait. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. It's time to repent. It's time to come clean before God, isn't it? It's time to realize that we can't play games with God anymore. No, you don't have a lot of time left. Maybe at best only to 2030. Maybe. You don't know. I don't know. But it behooves us, as God has urged in his word over and over again, through Jesus and through his apostles and the prophets, get ready. Now, getting ready doesn't mean you're just going to go to church because I can walk into a garage and not become a car. That doesn't make me any more ready for anything than the man and the moon. It's about your heart. That's what God is after. And here's the, here's the situation that we need to understand. The Temple Mount, in many respects, is a metaphor for every man's heart including the heart of Israel. Because God doesn't live in temples made with hands. He didn't in the Old Testament, and he doesn't in the New Testament. That doesn't mean that God is against the temple, because Jesus himself called it his house, a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves, he said but the reality was the same then god didn't live in temples made with hands there's no temple that contained god his entire uh, his goal from the very beginning was to rule and reign from the temple mount of your heart that's the big issue here so the geopolitical stakes are high Never been higher. And our world is teetering on the precipice of power. It's demonic power versus divine power. Yet, as profound as the geopolitical stakes may be, they pale into insignificance compared to the spiritual stakes that are going to echo into eternity. Now, the Bible says the Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice in Jerusalem, and the heavens of the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, said the prophet Joel. So, the book called the Bible ends in Revelation chapter 22 verse 20, Jesus says, behold I come quickly. Hmm. So I want to ask you a few questions as we uh, approach our wrap up here of the program today. You could call them probing thoughts for prophetic times, whatever you want to call it. So in what way do thrones speak into our lives? power bases and what, what in what ways do thrones speak into our lives could it be that the entire panoply of human history can only be fully understood as the continuing spiritual battle for the throne of every person's life now can, can you see how the current global thrust toward a new world order is just the culmination of mankind's collective and historic effort to circumvent God's rule that began way back there in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel? And why do you think the Tower of Babel is a well-established symbol adopted by the European Union? And, most recently, by Amazon in its new headquarters in our nation's capital... And when and why will Jerusalem be called the throne of the Lord? Who is and will be king of kings and Lord of lords? Now, if your answer is Jesus Christ or Yeshua, the next question is, is he truly king and Lord of your own life? And here's another question. What evidence in your life reveals that that is the ultimate of all relationships? What evidence is there? Who looking at your life would determine that Jesus rules as king of king on the throne of your heart? And and if Yeshua or Jesus is not your true Lord and king, then who is? And uh, in, in what ways, through allegiance and attitude or behavior, have you perhaps dethroned Christ as king and lord, even while claiming him as savior? See, by the way, this is how the word of God is supposed to be presented and taught and preached. It's supposed to be done in such a way, that's why the Bible is called the sword of the spirit. Because it pierces. It's designed to compel us to decide to do spiritual surgery to prepare us for eternity with the Lord. So maybe this would be the last question. Are you, are you prepared to enter these final prophesied cataclysmic days of human history without committing your life to Yeshua? Jesus as Messiah. When the Bible says that every knee is going to bow to him as king of the mountain. Are are you willing at this moment right now to bow humbly before him in brokenness of your heart to confess and repent of your sin and be born again by receiving his forgiveness? Do you have confident hope That when the nations and peoples of our planet are brought to final judgment before the King of Kings, that you're going to be found righteous and be welcomed without fear into his holy presence? These are provocative questions, aren't they? This is how the Bible is intended to be taught and preached. So that we must make decisions. That's why the scripture says, decide. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Don't harden your heart as they did back in the days coming out of Egypt. But today is the day of salvation. Today, make your decision and then live accordingly. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 to 7, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, that's the good news, and that's why the Bible, the, the message of the Bible is called the gospel or good news. It's good news because of the intense bad news in the alternative. They were all under a death penalty because of sin, because of Adam's sin. But Jesus came as the last Adam, pure, holy, unadulterated by sin, lived a holy and righteous life in obedience to God, the Father. And because of his sacrifice there on the Temple Mount, he is able to offer salvation to you and to me because he became our substitute sacrifice. What an incredible story. What an incredible account. It's not a story. It's actually the biblical truth for all time. Now, I want to make available to you, again, my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End Time Battle. Because it is said, He who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. You're going to be fascinated as you read. But it's not just about information. It's loaded with information. But it's about ultimately transformation in your life and in your heart. $15. We'll put the $20 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Also consider getting the copy of Messiah. Looks at all of these unbelievable competitors seeking to become the Messiah to rule and reign on the Temple Mount of your heart. $22 on our website, saveus.org, or you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. Thanks for becoming a, a partner with us, for praying. We need more partners, friends. This is an opportunity you can make a huge difference by becoming a financial and prayer partner with us. Do it today. Don't delay.